0: Like, did you think that you would grow up getting paid to color, (laughs) color and
1: draw? Hi. Hello. Hello.
2: Hello.
1: Hello. Hello, and welcome to Architecting.
2: This is a podcast about the lives of architects.
1: About the people and stories behind the buildings that we see around us and the images that brought them to life and with the very international world that we live in.
0: This show will purposefully be local and narrow, only focusing on the Colorado community of designers.
1: Hi, I'm Adam Wagner. I'm the host of this show. I'm an architect who's worked for a dozen different firms in three different countries, but for the last five years, I've been rooted in Denver, Colorado, where I'm at Open Studio Architecture, and I teach at the University of Colorado, Denver. I like connecting with other designers and learning from their experiences. So now I'm broadcasting these conversations with the goal of creating a stronger local community here in Colorado. That brings us to our guest today, Kitty Yen, a principal and the Denver studio leader at Ratio Design. So Kitty has been a a real mainstay in the Denver design community for the last two decades. Moving up the ranks at firms like Clip, Oz, Ginsler, Burkett, EUA, and now the studio leader position at Ratio Design, which was previously Humphreys-Poly. Uh, beyond all this work, raising her twin daughters and being married to another architect, <laughs> which she tries to keep a secret, Kitty is also very active in the AIA, uh, where she was the Denver president in 2011. In this episode, we get into her childhood, growing up in Hong Kong, and then moving to Minnesota bef- before becoming the the real rebel in her family and attending architecture school in Arizona. I I hadn't known Kitty all that well before this conversation, um, but she is such a warm and energetic person that this conversation was was quite enjoyable and and hard to bring to a close. Uh, She has a great approach to design and leadership, uh, pushing for the profession to be a positive force in our community. And I've also heard um, firsthand from from some of her employees and and colleagues just about how much her her leadership and mentorship means to them, especially as a a successful female Asian American uh, here in Colorado. Kitty has some great knowledge of the Colorado design scene and a lot of good gossip, um, most of which I unfortunately couldn't release with this episode, Uh, but now I do have a lot of good blackmail material, and after the credits, you can hear what I'm going to do with it. Anyway, here's Kitty. Hope you enjoy. Hey, so our goal at Architecting is to strengthen the community of Colorado designers, and nobody is doing this better already than Modern in Denver. So Modern in Denver has been striving to bring designers together and to bring people to good design for a long time now. We're excited to be working together with them on this shared goal. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated and designed content on Colorado designers and projects. So go out now, buy a copy of their newest issue at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list and follow them on Instagram. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Well, thank you. I, this is so cool what you're doing. I got a chance to listen to some of the other ones and it was um, it's so fun, right? You you know these people around the community and some of them are actually, you know, friends um, man and people have gotten to know, but you don't really get to ask those questions with your friends. Like if it comes up in natural conversation, great, but they don't, you know, you don't dive into some of that. So it's it's really exciting to hear.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, especially for someone like me, you know, where I've, I've been here maybe like five years and, and I know these people, but I haven't gone through the profession with them. Like you have, you know, oh, you've been yeah. here for so long where
2: <laughs> exactly
1: it's more of names and for you, it's, it's like friendships, but, um. Yeah, I think it's nice where it allows me to, you know, like someone like Nan who I'd never met before and always oh, wanted yeah. to, like, there's no excuse normally for me to meet her. And so now th- this has just been a big excuse just for me to gleam knowledge from experience people like you
2: mm.
0: oh that is so but it's so cool that you're doing that i mean it, it what a neat idea and i was joking like okay yeah you, somebody's obviously busier <laughs> i've got more you know the things you put on your list in covid you've achieved more than you know other people have <laughs> you know kept thinking i'm gonna do x y and z and then i think i may be like a quarter of x and you know half of y and too many things out there
1: yeah well and I, i've said this a lot on this but you know, I started it right before COVID oh, yeah. and then it took me nine months to edit the first one because I was so I, I was so freaked out about the quality and how oh. things were not going to be good and not perfect right. and blah, blah, blah. And so I languished a lot during that COVID time. But then when when I finally got it, I was like, all right it's not going to be perfect let's just do it let it go right yeah Um... let's get a bunch of people in here and and yeah then by then i was like very socially deprived so then it got a bunch of people going
0: (laughs) socially deprived no but that it's just a what a fun concept and how cool is that i mean um when when i was doing the presidency for aia Mm. you know you go to the um Oh, what is it called again? I can't remember what it's called in Washington, but you, you go to Washington DC and you meet other leaders and then you get to talk about, you know, some ideas. It was always fun to hear what different chapters were sharing. Mm -hmm. And at one time they said it was, um, you know, they had some senior architects host dinner with architects. And so they would invite um, different people, you know, younger, older, to have dinner at their house. And the and they would host that, and they would have great discussions, you know, not just about uh, architecture and design, but about life and philosophy. And uh, we just heard so much about it, and people got so much out of it, you know. The some fellows loved talking to the younger folks. The younger folks loved. Um, talking to senior architects and it, it there was no agenda in that but just like understanding each other and just building community
1: I always thought that was so cool yeah. I told my
0: husband I'm like I think we should try
1: it <laughs> he's like how many people do you want to yeah yeah today? I
0: was like I, I had on my list forever on my little notebook like I want to do that one time I want to do it and it's you know hard enough to get your friends in and and still see them that I'm like wow you know I, I don't know how it would be but yeah, it's like yeah. during COVID, I was able to get like a trade show in my backyard where some of the people wanted to show products and it was like, hmm. okay, let's just socially distance outside and try this.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, I like that idea of the dinner. Uh, I have a grad school classmate who they started up a program like that uh, and they were going to make it into a podcast where they record that dinner <sighs> and do it. Cool. But again, it happened right before COVID and I think they did a few, uh, but hopefully, hopefully they get that started up again.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's so hard, right? It's just one of those things like socially, like you you don't know who's, you know, how people feel and things like that. And then just different conversations, right?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well,
1: how's your, how's your Friday been? You guys do half day day Fridays? We
0: do do half day Fridays. It's awesome. It's a new, um, it's great because, um, Dennis and Joe with, you know, Humphreys-Poly has always had that, and it's mm. a very Colorado thing, right? Um, Because I, I guess you haven't been here that long, but it's a very Colorado thing. There's schools that actually follow that, too. Some schools end at noon because they know people will go and enjoy the mountains and everything that Colorado has to offer. So it was a, a Humphreys-Poly thing. So they kept it, and when Ratio bought them, you know, all the other studios were like, wait, what, what is this half-day Friday thing? <laughs> and it got on the agenda to talk about you know and um you know people were really excited about that you know it's like we already power through you know at least nine hours a day anyway so they just did that and then um people tend to work harder and and appreciate the time they're at work you know looking forward to friday afternoon where they can get you know that work-life integration back so that was fun
1: yeah and people people take it pretty well. Like I I, I was in a yeah. firm and we did that, but then it was always too much work and then nobody took it. And then you felt weird for taking it. And
0: yeah. It to establish actually that.
1: yeah
0: Has to be, I think kind of a broad spectrum. Cause you're right. I mean, we've had that, like what we called summer hours, at other places I have, and you're always sitting there and you never get a chance, but um, they've done a really good job and really supporting that. So we don't really have, We we try not to do meetings on Fridays and so for, for some of the principals, and we, we catch up that day. We do a hmm. lot of catch up on emails and stuff, but it just feels better that you're not trying to, what, what do we call it? Work uninterrupted, hmm. <laughs> right? Not that meetings are interrupting things, but we just call it work un- uninterrupted. So um, Friday's the work un- uninterrupted day and people can use that however they want.
1: This question I ask everybody of, of who are you, Are you able to answer that?
0: Um, Yeah. So I was I was thinking about that. And my answer is it's more about the words and rather than just two sentences. I don't really have an elevator speech prepared for that. But (laughs) I I really feel like things that describe me is I'm I'm uh, I I lead by curiosity. I'm very um, like. I like to dive into things. I feel like I'm a quiet observer. And, uh, sometimes I'm pretty vocal and I'm a fighter for what I believe is right. And, uh, and that's who I am, you know, curiosity fighter
2: <laughs> and
0: fighter. yeah, a curious fighter and, and, uh, you know, observing all the time, always just absorbing and observing.
1: I like those, I like those two words. Has has that been pretty consistent for you? Were you, were you that way as a child? And pretty i was yeah yeah
0: it it is it's really funny so i come from a family of really type a people you know Mm -hmm. just almost stereotypical asian you know very (laughs) a type um wannabe driven kind of family and i am the middle child so i've always been kind of you know and amongst the sea of between my cousins and my brothers and sisters they're all leos And I'm the Libra who's about balance (laughs) and sitting back. So I was always the one that was observing and uh, and just, you know, quietly listening in and learning and observing from them, which is funny because they are, you know, a lot bolder. And so it's Hmm. kind of funny because I talk about, you know, being a fighter, too, because it's, it's not fighting in a sense of what you're like argumentative and stuff. But it's always you learn to. Um, I learned to grow into a voice that represents myself, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because when you're younger, you kind of, you know, it's almost the Asian culture sometimes too. You know, they, um, you, it's a very, uh, community based uh, family is very important. Not that I'm saying other cultures aren't, but, you know, everything you do and you say, you want to think through, like, does it reflect on your family? Mm -hmm. Does it reflect on your, your, um, and so it's, it's not always about standing out for yourself, right? You Mm -hmm. want to speak up for everyone else. You want your family to be taken care of. You want to represent your family well. So, um, things like that has always been ingrained in kind of how we think. So it's less about the individual and more about, um, about your family and your community and what that represents. So uh, learning to grow into a voice where I can advocate for myself has taken years and years. You know, I might have mm-hmm. the thoughts about it, but I'm always kind of like, well, you know, that probably isn't, <laughs> you know, my parents would always say like, oh, yeah, you know, just respect it and <laughs> think about it, respect it and, and not, um, you know, don't don't cause trouble with that. So it's been interesting to kind of learn that through the years, right?
1: Huh. That's, that's interesting. And it's an, it seems like an interesting balance to me of being that type A and being that fighter, but being a fighter sort of for the communal family in a way and not for yourself, right? Like, yeah, uh, it's
0: not about uh, yourself. You know, and there's a lot of talk nowadays about design about for the we and not for the me and things like that. And it's really funny because, you know, a lot of the things that drive what I do, do needs to be more about the we and not the me right you know so the it informs decision making and and i really have used that in in design too right mm-hmm. in working with my clients and making sure that all perspectives are are equally voiced right and just um, kind of looking at it from everybody's different point of view because you know there's it's not so much people pleasing but just making sure it's equitable that uh that we see all different parts that you represent different things. And then all the different parts form that community. You know, there's always someone that's a stronger voice, um, you know, maybe a CEO and it's always really fun to work with them, but it's also the ones I love working with the CEOs that I love working with are the ones that really, they are the voice of their group. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're not about themselves and trying to make a name for themselves. And, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, Ivo Jurek, I just adore him. He's from Gates Corporation and he was, he had such an interesting way of approaching things. We're doing design with him and he, he's really thoughtful about, like, yeah, I'm kind of the steward of this organization right now. I may not be here forever, but I want to do something that's great for the company, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, it's kind of uh, interesting when you have a thought like that, that you're responsible for a bigger portion and you're just a steward of the the company at that time but you know you're not a uh, i guess if you're a founder <laughs> like Steve Jobs or something you know you know it's about your name you know Bill Gates it's about your name and what you think and everything's around you know what your philosophy is and you know what's that next transition and what's the next person so I always find that interesting
1: Yeah because it has to be a balance I mean especially like in your position managing a design firm of the balance between having a vision right and a direction right. but allowing for that vision allowing for other people to plug into that vision right because right i i can see a sort of difficulty in that idea of well if if ever if we listen to everybody and everybody's involved you know
2: is it, it diluted? Turn yeah. It turns out to
1: you know a, a camel, right? A horse by committee, <laughs> yeah. uh or, or something. But having that that voice in that direction, but but you're saying, yeah, allowing for the others to kind of. It's not a build uh,
0: off of it,
1: and right. yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. So. So did that's did, always fun. Yeah. <laughs> so where did you where did you grow up?
0: Um, You know, I was born and I grew up in Hong Kong. And so, uh, yeah, I emigrated here in uh, 79 or 80, kind Mm -hmm. of. And uh, my whole family immigrated here. We were a little fortunate that we had friends in government that knew the, uh, the handover to China. They were still in negotiations that were trying to get Britain to not hand over to communist China at that time and so those early negotiations i think in the late 70s was the first round where we knew they were it was really heading towards that so um there's some families and probably the first group that emigrated here um of course as you go later on in actually 1997 um the last group had a harder time emigrating Mm -hmm. out i think so we emigrated to the u.s and so it's been uh Interesting. We went to Minnesota and <laughs> very Scandinavian <laughs> portion. I used to joke about the very nice Scandinavian family. But, you know, when I got here, it was like, are you adopted? Yes. Someone adopted me and my whole family to come here.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not the obvious move, right? From the, it isn't um, the obvious move. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's like Anicia Street, right? From, from Trinidad to South Dakota. <laughs> um, but so, wow, so that, that's quite the move. So you, you really were, so when you were in Hong Kong, I mean, you had, like you're saying, a lot of family all all yeah. around you. And then yeah. when you moved, I mean, most of that family came with you, but not oh, all Oh, my or? immediate,
0: yeah, my immediate family came with us. And um, we were really close with our cousins that we grew up with. But then we had another set of cousins that that's why we located to Minnesota. My oh. uncle was a, um, a kind of inventor for 3M. So hmm. it was interesting to move to Minnesota because that was kind of the headquarters of 3M. So that's why, you know, of all the coasts, a lot of Asians moved to like New York or San Francisco where there's kind of a Chinese community and um and we had kind of created our own community in in Minnesota for that so that was kind of fun but you know Hong Kong was was that was you know very formative in in observing and um and uh just observing architecture and yeah. urban life and and how those things are um the fabric of what you do right
1: <laughs> yeah Cause how old were you when you, when you moved?
0: Um, I was 10. <laughs>
1: okay. I sorry, I don't want to date you. I can, I can edit this. No,
0: no, out, no, but... that's okay. I was 10. <laughs> but... So I was able to, you know, have a good childhood remembering, you know, it's really funny because my family had, um, had, you know, it's, it's a pretty dense area. You know, I, I don't want to get into like real estate costs for Hong Kong and things like that, but it is an urban environment. And um, so people always thought like, Oh, you know, what is life like when you when you live in a high rise, you know, high rise living versus, you know, having a lot of land, it's just different, right? So it's what you have your, your, your parks and your clubs, you know, those are the extension of what the US thinks, you know, right now we live in a single family house. And Everything you could possibly want needs to be right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> you want the yard for your kids to play in. You want to be able to store your cars, and it's just a little different in high-rise living, right? So it's, it's the same things can happen, but they just happen in different areas. So it's kind of a mindset to be able to um, to do that. But you know, the parks are where you meet your friends, and and uh, we we did have um, my grandfather had bought a few units on a floor and connected them. Hmm. So we did have a bigger thing, uh, bigger apartment. And, you know, I did learn to ride my bike in the apartment. (laughs) I'm not great at bike riding. (laughs) So, uh, but I did learn to ride a bike in the apartment and then eventually out on, in the park, but it's it's just different, right? Different ways of experiencing life.
1: Yeah, it has to be, Uh, especially, you know, like at, at 10, it, it had to be very formative and just that, proximity to architecture that you were within right and the build, mm-hmm. everything was built right and yeah and the fact that that had on you um did you when you started thinking about college did, did you was that in your the back of your mind of of wanting to be an architect like had, had you been thinking about that for With a while influenced by by that or
0: yeah so my my father is um you know he's very somewhat traditional Chinese. Not somewhat. He's very traditional <laughs> Chinese. But then he has very um very open mind in, in exploring things. So ever since we were little we did a lot of traveling, you know, he just believed in traveling and exploring different cultures. And we always found that fun. And he not saying that he an architectural enthusiast, but he was really about culture and and the places where we were. So he took us to we did a lot of traveling in Asia. And so he would have friends in Singapore, you know, or if it was Japan and different areas. So the architecture was always different. Like you you feel like um they're so urban, but they had different local flavors and um and, and little subtle things that different cultures would do different things. And it was always exciting to kind of to see and learn that. So when we came to the US, it was just like a whole new world of Um, you know appreciating landscape I would say Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know vast open spaces but you know uh, also same thing with Europe right if you go to Europe there's a different vernacular different things and he had um, he had gone to school in England so Mm -hmm. he had that part and we would see the photos from that you know where we'd see the old churches and you know the European churches are nothing like um you know, what you see in the US, not so much in the rural, not rural, but like a suburban Minnesota,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: obviously didn't have that. And it was always funny to kind of observe and reflect that. So I felt like when it was kind of college, we had to kind of look at what you may have affinity towards. And for one thing because i think computers became such a big you know pcs were <laughs> such a big thing that i looked into computer engineering and science and mm-hmm. then i thought well maybe architecture too and then i got a uh a summer job for northwest airlines and mm-hmm. and using computing and training and, uh, you know, as the low person of the totem pole, they sat me in the very freezing, cold um, printer room. I don't know if you remember dot matrix printers. It's probably before yeah. you were taught. <laughs> but dot matrix printers were, um, you know, they had uh, printer paper was green band and white band, green band and white band, because um, you had to read across these long sheets of paper and the green <laughs> and the white help you stay in line. But they had these little dots and these little cogs that you roll the paper into, and then they print out things, and it was super loud, so loud that they would have these domes over <laughs> to cover when the uh, when the printing would happen. It would go eah, 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 all the way across, and so I was in a room with the other intern in this freezing cold room <laughs> with these printers, and I thought, wow, this is this is crazy, and it felt so lonely because it was ice cold, and the guy next to me was – like loving Lotus. And I don't know if you know that program, but it's like um, a spreadsheet one and he would time himself going in and out of these programs to fix things. And, and I just thought, wow, I think I need more social interactions than this. <laughs> I remember like, I'm going to go get a pencil, you know, like get up, go to get a pencil at the supply closet, take my time, walk there, talk to a few people, come back. Oh, I need an eraser. I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) go walk across the office, get the eraser, talk to people. I just thought, wow, I, you know, just the summer of that, I as much as I appreciated the people were so nice, but I thought, I don't know if I could do this for my, for my future. Right. I love the analytical part of it, but I need something more. So um, then I started um, some architectural and drafting classes in high school and and it just had an affinity towards that. But, Hmm. you know, the start was kind of not that way. Um, I I learned how to bring the cultural part into it. The more I got into it, because, Hmm. you know, architectural drafting in high school is, I don't know how they teach it now. I think they're smarter about it and, you know, expose kids to more about architecture. But I think my architectural drafting teacher was actually the football coach. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was really there for <laughs> coaching football, but he just had to, you know, take a class. He's like, oh, I'll just sit around and have these kids draft. So he would not really teach architecture, but it was all about drafting and it was funny. And, um, and I think this poor kid that sat next to me when I first started, because, Um, Like I said, it wasn't the cultural and the design part of it. It was more like the mechanics and how to read the scale. And and this is really uh, dates me when I say this, but so they would tell us what to draft, and then they would reveal it piece by piece on a over... I, I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever yeah. saw these, the overhead projectors. I'm not that, that young.
1: I know what I'm <laughs> <after this. laughs> Okay.
0: But these overhead projectors with transparencies, yeah. like, you were like, oh, you know, uh, count over six inches and draw a line or whatever it was, use the scale. And I remember the kid next to me, and, you know, as a teenage girl, you're kind of like, man, eh, I'm not that interested. So the kid next to me, I was like... So, what is it like? You know, he <laughs> would uh, help me with half my drafting. If I told that kid I was an architect, now he would spit nails. He's like, <laughs> "Oh my god, that girl couldn't even read the scale when she started." <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but you know, funny. it's like expectations, right? There's the mecha- the technical part, and then the 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 more design and and thinking part. And I was all on board with the thinking part, and you know, the mechanical part I had to learn.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so then. But it was enough it was enough for you that you, you were like, "All right, yeah, I want to go to architecture school and:
0: yeah, yeah, it was just I, I went through um, a couple years of architectural drafting, actually huh. I was building models, and um, our, you know he was not a very inspirational teacher <laughs> but <laughs> but it was still exciting and fun for me, and actually, my last year of school, I could work in an architectural firm, hmm. so I had um, kind of created my own. Program where I could go work uh, part time at school and go to school part time. So I uh, worked in a firm, and of course, like every you know architectural firm, every. Principal, you meet are you sure you want to do this like you really really have to love it if I were you I would think about something else right yeah you know, I don't know if you've been told that I think mm-hmm. we try to tell people to stop doing that nowadays but yeah. uh, back then they kept asking me like are you sure are you sure and I just I just thought it was such a great environment and and so exciting that I'm like yep this is what I want to do mm. <laughs>
1: but then you went, you went to Arizona, right? So I did. How, how I went did that, to the University of Arizona. <laughs> how did that come about? Um,
0: From you know, Minnesota. there's, there's always good and bad. So, um, the, uh, the good thing is I met my husband there, right? Mm. So yay, University of Arizona. Awesome. Met my husband there, but it was my, um, shoe in choice, to be honest with you. Mm. I had, a um, I was uh, accepted to RISD Mm. and I was going to go there and um, I think I looked at Pratt and some I was 100% into East Coast and um, (laughs) going to live that life and the last minute a couple of different things happened my dad was not sure he wanted me all the way to the East Coast and (laughs) then um, of course RISD had a couple exposes on drug use to students. Yeah, And then my dad thought, for sure, this is not the answer. <laughs> it's too artsy. You know, everyone else is kind of engineering based at, yeah. at my house. And it was way too artsy for him. He was just like, oh, not sure. <laughs> hmm.
1: what, what did your father do?
0: My father's an engineer. An engineer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, He's, he's and, an engineer. And, and, the, That's and why the older funny.
1: sibling and the younger sibling, are they both
0: Yeah, engineers? so my older sister is an engineer. She <laughs> works at JPL. <laughs> my little brother used to be an exec at uh, Microsoft. So he's uh, obviously, um, he's EECE, you know, electrical <laughs> and computer engineering. So everybody's like engineering based, right? And, you know, when I said I wanted to architecture, all they could think of like, are you going to get an arts degree? Is this just about art and and of course, my first job was um it was great i I worked with the design director because I had spent my time learning CAD and mm-hmm. rendering and that was what I was interested in actually that was what arizona i went there because they were one of the few schools that had a um we called it t rex it was a machine s o m was it SOM back then? I think it was SOM had developed the software to do um, uh, CAD in 3D. So it wasn't just 2D drafting like AutoCAD. I don't know if you remember, AutoCAD was always 2D drafting. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the first things, it wasn't even an architecture then. It was like, we had to draw, well, we had to draw cogs and you know, like nuts mm-hmm. and bolts and silly things. And So University of Arizona was one of the few schools that had the super machine that you Mm. could do everything in 3D. And so uh, I was excited by that. And that's one of the reasons why I went to that school. (laughs) Hmm.
1: So, so yeah, what was it like there? Was it was it what you were kind of expecting uh, or architecture school in general? Like after taking all those high school courses and working at a firm and.
0: Yeah, it was, you know, it's it's funny because it's, uh, it was a nice blend of practice and, and theory in a sense, you know, I think RISD would have been super theoretical and and very artsy and, um, and Arizona had some practicality in it. So it was good when I had to graduate to get a real job, which is yeah, every parent's concern. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> At that time, my dad was like, okay, are you, are you able to to support yourself in life? And um yeah, it was even funnier because like I said, my, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't finish the story of my first job. I was, um, I thought I was really great manager or something like that you know you you never know you're like hey I'm sure I can do this I can do that and um, they kind of put me on the design track and the design director said no no no. why are you wasting your time doing this we're going to do design and it was a fantastic experience his name was Jim Phelps he was awesome Mm. we just um, we did design charrettes and we (laughs) we did a lot by hand and he had taught me the craft of doing like sepia prints and we ran sepia prints uh, and we would color them up. So it used to be a lot of people made fun of me like, did you think that you would grow up getting paid to color, <laughs> color and draw? I mean, it made people really nervous. Like my uh, my parents just saw tons of markers on my desk and always drawing. I mean, you know, it was, it was a profession, but they just kept thinking like, hmm, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> this like, is what architecture is about. Yeah. Sure.
1: You're, hey, parents, it could be a lot worse. Okay. I'm, I'm an architect. <laughs>
0: Exactly. I'm not an engineer,
1: but it could be a lot worse. Right,
0: right. I could have been so a lot coming,
1: worse at RISD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from a
0: family of engineers, they were like, "Like, what, what's the calculation? <laughs> like, where's the CAD? Like, why are you just sketching and drawing all the time?" <laughs> it made them a little nervous.
1: You're like, no, I did a cog too. See, look, I, I got a yeah, cog. yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, that was the funny thing. I don't know if you remember. I I did AutoCAD. It was one. Of the, I was one of the uh, test subjects. I encouraged the school to get it.
2: Hmm. And
0: it was only on one machine. And, you know, while everybody's drawing whatever they were doing, um, I was listening to an audio cassette that said, like, I'm not kidding you. um, Move your mouse. I think it was the mouse. Move your mouse, you know, to the right to, you know, and then you had to, like, count out the units. It was like high
1: school
0: then it was Yeah, (laughs) and then it was, like, through an audio cassette, that's how I would learn. Like, move the mouse this way. And then at the end, you're like, I hope it looks like a cow because they don't tell you what you're drawing. They, like, never gave you a visual of, like, You know, you know, nowadays we're like, okay, you know, we want the building to look like this. Let's draw it up. Right. And this was like purely audio. So that blind faith of like (laughs) drawing what I think they want me to draw. Yeah. It was like the weirdest way of learning AutoCAD.
1: (laughs) That's funny. So so you got out of Arizona and did you go work with Jim Phelps? Right away? Or yeah, was, I moved yeah.
2: back
0: to Minneapolis. I, I had a couple internships during during school, which was great. Um, the, I had uh, I worked a few hours. I worked a few hours. I worked quite a few hours at school, um, and went to school at the same time. So that was mm. a great internship. I worked for Earl Kai Chan Associates. Mm. Earl was a really great guy and had a really good firm. Um, Jeff Chow and and Steve Herzog they were great mentors. So they did community-based schools and um, this is back when they used to use a digitizing tablet. I was really fast at drafting in CAD. They used to call me the digitizer. (laughs) Would come in and be like, what do you need in CAD? Draw it. (laughs) For me, it was like simple work, right? It was just really easy. And, um, but yeah, I worked through that. So when I finished school, I was kind of a computer nerd because I had, you know, Wanted to do 3D in 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 CAD and and exploring that and rendering. I mean, I think I actually submitted and won some things in school. I ran the computer lab at school too. On the you know at the architecture, <laughs> at the architecture school, it was a part-time job, and uh, you know you would render things on screen. This is like the funniest thing because I didn't I couldn't afford a printer. And then like how do you show your 3D images to other people at that time? It was literally like put a cloth over your head and bring your camera and put it on like the slowest shutter speed and take a photo of that and then go get it developed. A week later, you could see if you're, (laughs) if you're rendering what's good. And I think I remember putting a board together for, for something like that, but I did a lot of 3d graphics and design. And I think it was actually um, towards the end of school. Actually, we had um, an unlocked version of 3d studio. Oh, yeah, so I actually did my senior thesis on that. And so when I first got out of school, I worked for um, Sims Mania McKee Associates, and they had an office in Minneapolis, they kind of hired me more for rendering and things like that. But the design director, we were able to kind of blend this beautiful hand drawing that he taught me with, you know, 3d massing models that we would hmm. do for design. It was a lot of fun. Hmm.
1: <laughs> That's interesting when you when you when you buckle down so hard in school with technology and then you come out and you're just the expert and you're the you're the the, the hottest stuff. And then how long does that last to until you're outdated again? You know, it's yeah, it's like you have that brief window (laughs) where where you're the top and then then the new kids come out. And yeah,
2: well,
0: you know what the funny thing it taught, um, which was a great discussion that I had. Um, when I did my thesis, not only was it just about the project, but the second part of what I wanted to explore in my, my senior thesis was that it was all a design tool. What are your tools that you use Mm -hmm. to communicate design? So whether it's by pen, your board, or, you know, using the rendering as a, as a tool that. It could be, you know, everybody was so caught up at that time. What software are you using? What software are you, you know, what is that? And my whole thing was it wasn't based on specific software. It was based on, you know, what am I using to communicate my design as a tool? So um, it's funny because when I got out, it was back to hand sketching. And it was more about design and that validated what I had um My thesis was and uh, the person I worked with was like, yeah, you know, let's let's do hand sketches. You're right. It's about communicating, communicating your design. So when is it appropriate to use the hand medium and when is it appropriate to use the 3D? So, um, you know, we we did the 3D setup and then traced over it too to explore things. So it was it was just really fun to to, um, think about that because nowadays I feel bad everybody has to draw in 3d and has to do it in Revit which I think takes us to another level right for for our profession that we're getting people to think in 3d sooner and faster it used to be you know 2d was so abstract and we had you know we go through architecture school we always talked about 3d and then we asked all the interns to come out and draw in 2d I mean that was just a shame and so you the mark of a good (laughs) I shouldn't say good, but, you know, one of the more advanced way of moving forward in a firm were the people who got 3D space faster than the people who were still stuck on the 2D. Right. I think we all needed to be thinking in 3D all the time. But when you're you're kind of handicapped by the medium of telling you to draw a line here, this represents this. I think it took that 3D thinking away from people for a while Hmm. and they were stuck on the software and stuck on how to do CAD rather than thinking. You know, you know how to think in 3D, but how are you representing in 2D at that time?
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it'll be interesting, you know, for people like us who started in 2D in school, right? And <laughs> like, uh and how our brain was formed within architecture versus people now who are just always modeling digitally in 3D. How, yeah, like you're saying, how they'll be thinking about space. And I think, I think the key for me is just how, how, how do you still allow for looseness to be within the pro- process? Right. Yeah. Uh, because right. It's, it's the 3d models are so hard. And I, I really yeah. don't like that discussion of like, Oh, hand versus computer, whatever. Like, I think it's more of looseness versus, I don't know, hardness or something. Right. Of right. Like, that how, is true. How, how Rigid for, and, yeah, rigidity, <laughs> and how do you allow for those mistakes to come in and enrich the project? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and i, I kind of see that more and more now with students uh where, where technology's gone past just the 3d modeling right and into like yeah. ipad sketching and 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 photoshop collaging and things like that where hopefully there can be some mistakes and you know i, I like how we still get so much physical modeling in school cuz i you know yeah. that, that also allows for that but then with covid i'm interested to see what happened because all of those physical models kind of went out the went door for the last year and a half um and to see kind of right. what, what comes out of that but yeah. yeah
0: you're right i'm so excited i mean um that right at the schools they're just doing things differently um i'm i was talking to um uh, i'm on a knowledge committee for aia nationally for interior hmm. architecture it was so fun we had one professor on and another gentleman that um still teaches, he works as an architect in in New York City, and he has the most amazing schedule. And he'll get up in the middle of the night and teach a class in, in Japan still. Hmm. So he was telling me, um, you know, what the students are thinking and how they're doing that. And it's always funny because what the students were craving, not just about design, was about community enriched design. You know, it's very important to them now. It's not so much about just doing an iconic building. You know, mm. they really wanted to, and and COVID really affected that, right? How they engage with communities, how they explore that, and think about it. So, you know, they you can't really experience that online. And and um, Yutaka was telling about that, and it was really interesting. He said, you know, they just crave, especially in Japan, right? They had some serious cases, and they were really locked down. So trying to inspire the students to think about, um, you know, community, about culturally and society and not being able to go out and and feel that, you know, as they're developing their own drawings. It's like, imagine just working in your own apartment or bedroom and thinking about how you could help the community, but not really, you know, get that sense and feeling into their design. That was really interesting when he talked Mm. about that. I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that, right? Like, they were pretty locked down.
1: Well, and, yeah, and there's got to be something to the loss of community, right? To strengthen yeah. the idea of community, right? The yeah, absence exactly. that we've all felt. And and then, obviously, this direction of, of digital community, which is, you know, a whole other kind of realm and how yeah. that's become more of a thing, you know, this year, but.
0: Yeah, that that's the funny part. It's like they can explore in a digital sense, and um, and we joked about the um, apocalyptic nature. I mean, <laughs> I feel like mm. a lot of the renderings mm. we saw has this real apocalyptic mm. feel to it. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know, it's not not that it's not super warm fuzzy, but it just had like a distance to it that we we noticed, and it was so funny. We're like, is there a lot of And then you think, yeah, there's a lot of post-apocalyptic movies now, right? Is that what what the... younger generation thinks the future of architecture needs to be so
1: yeah and just our lives right now yeah
0: (laughs) right right exactly that's why we were laughing we're like god there's a kind of a (laughs) reflecting of you know he was really trying to teach about connection and community and and experiment you know urban experience and things like that and because they were in their rooms it was this different look that he hadn't anticipated so it was funny Hmm.
1: (laughs) So speaking of community, so you're up you're up north. And then how do you make your way down to Colorado
0: to Colorado? Um, You know, my husband and I finished school around um, the another big recession. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. I had uh, I had talked to people and I think back then it was LRB Beckett, which is now um, something else but it was L.A.B. Beckett in Minnesota and I was ready to work there. And I actually worked in um, Sims Mani Sims in Minneapolis and he was in LA and um, he actually got a job offer here in Colorado and Colorado hadn't quite felt the impact that the coast had felt with the recession. So they were kind of lagging a little bit behind. So um he had moved here and then I moved here with him. And Is he started my journey. He is an uh, architect. Is. <laughs> yeah, who's, who's your exactly. husband? I, I didn't
1: know that. You're
0: to an architect. Yeah, we, it's a very little known secret. It's uh, actually the biggest joke in Colorado. People that really know us know us, but we have not been um, linked as an architectural couple and partially because he actually won one year he won young architect of the year oh, yeah. one year like way back when when i was um, doing my presidency but we had different <laughs> last names and they were like who is this chris Castellic guy right they ah. didn't recognize the name he walks on stage and they're like there's Kitty's husband <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's funny <laughs> exactly
0: yeah so he he's the principal at and will
1: oh okay
2: huh. yeah
0: yeah so we've um We've weathered a lot of things together. We um don't talk about architecture. We talk about people in architecture.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's been our joke. They're like, Do you guys just sit home all day long and talk about work? No, we talk about people at work. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So so okay, so you moved here and yeah. where did you where did you what work first? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I um I came here and I am pretty targeted uh, when I do my search. I kind of I do a lot of research, kind of thinking what aligns with me. I probably could have looked at it another way, but I, you know, you do what you do when you're younger. Like, okay, what are the top firms and I'm going to go there. Uh, my first job was with Clip Jenks mm-hmm. Du Dubois, which is now GK. Well, it was GKK works and then got bought out. But um, yeah. So I, Had a great time there, uh, met a lot of great people, some that we still keep in touch and laugh about our times there, but I I got to Clip Calusi right when they finished the library, the central library, Ah. but it was great to work there, worked um, a lot of hours, really hard with a really fun group of people. Um, Then after that, I went to Oz Architecture, and uh, that was a lot of fun, I still... uh, have really fond memories. Actually, Joe Levy lives down the street from me. I mm. love harassing him, mm. <laughs> and he loves harassing me. He'll drive by and say really mean things, and then I get to throw it back at him.
1: <laughs> huh. Nice, yeah, exactly. good relationship. Yeah, yeah,
0: a great relationship we have. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, what... so I was yeah good. No, no. So at Oz Architecture, it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, I love Joe and. um, and Jim and Tracy and Kelly, it was a, a really good time there. And I had uh, met a lady when I was at Clip that went to Gensler, and she had called me out of the blue and said, "You know, we're we're starting these uh, we're starting to do work in China. Mm. <laughs> and have you met Jun Shaw? He's he's from Shanghai, and my father's family is from Shanghai." So um the two of us met a couple of times and he was he's so dynamic. If you ever meet June, he could sell you anything. He's just full of energy and just so um so passionate about architecture. I met with him a couple of times. He was he was so great. He was like, "You and me and you face of China. Come on, let's go." You know, <laughs> just basically like that. It just like drew me in. So I went to went to Gensler um to 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 work with June, but, you know, there were a lot of people doing China projects. I got sucked up in headquarter projects too, but, um, that was really, that was the exciting part, you know, really spoke to me. And it's so fun to see, uh, what the China offices comes up with now from Gensler. I mean, it was great, uh, great experience and great to see in Shanghai. They were working, um, not right when I was there, but toward, I was there for a long time, I was there for like almost 11 years, mm-hmm. but they did the Shanghai tower. That was so mm-hmm. um, exciting to see that he really um, brought a different dimension as they're developing that. And it was really fun to share that with my father who would, go back once in a while and just imagine, you know, being associated with that. That was really, you know, my dad was pretty proud of that too. You're like,
1: see dad, I'm, I'm not just. <laughs> yeah, it's paid I'm off,
0: not, right? I'm not, yeah.
1: I'm not just twenty some years coloring. later, here you yeah. go, dad. <laughs> look what this cog turned into. Yeah.
0: Exactly. This is a real profession. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't just get paid to color and draw. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I color and draw and then it gets built, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm but
0: like, then it gets built, dad. Yeah. So yeah.
1: <laughs> so what, what happened? Because. I feel like I've heard that before, that somehow, like, the Shanghai office got started from the Denver office It of
0: did, Gensler. yeah, uh, from June Shah, exactly. Okay, so, so, there was a Hong Kong office um, that had mainly done interiors um, at that time. So, uh, the Shanghai office was due to all the work that June created. I mean, he's, uh, like I said, a fantastic guy, and um, he was working with his classmates, and then they all came up. At the same time, while he's emerging to be a principal, they were emerging to be big decision makers in in China so that they could collaborate mm. together and and do these different projects. And um, so that's how that started. And obviously, he's he's really smart and he did the um, economics of that. Right. So you could basically. Uh, well, actually, I take that back. Let me take a step back because, you know, it was China had only allowed. Western architects to work up to like DD level. Hmm. And then you still had to team with a local to to get it through. You know, they wanted to, to not just give all the work away to the Western firms. They surely loved the design and the inspiration and the thought that came in from that, but they were still able to get the local folks to work. So um, there was another gentleman that was from Beijing that had connections too. So he kind of helped start the Beijing um, office or find people and his classmates to work on that. And then June was able to find his group in Shanghai. So yeah, it did kind of start out of Denver and then became the China offices Hmm. for Gensler and they've taken off, right? It's amazing what they've done.
1: How was that for you being away from China for so long and then, and then working there and I didn't actually
0: work there. It was um, it's, it's, you know, I can say this I don't want to offend anyone but uh, you know China was still at that time in the early 2000s were still emerging right they were still it was still communist china hong kong was a it was a um a british colony so i grew up with you know the freedoms and the you know all under British colonial rule, (laughs) in a sense, and it was very modern and China was still emerging as that at the time they were not 100% into women, you know, being in charge, they were really paying Gensler to find the kind of younger um, Caucasian men (laughs) to bring the design concept Mm -hmm. in. And then there were two of us that spoke uh, Mandarin and it was uh, just interesting, different way of treating People, But it was it was still a great experience to see what they were doing, you know, because it was really limitless, right? Because they were so eager to get the innovation and to do the things. And China's developed a lot in the last, you know, two decades over that. And I, I don't know if you hear about the difference in that, because they were so fast at absorbing the technical and they're so good at um imitating or, or you know mocking things that they weren't developing their own innovative thinking at that time mm. I think it's they've realized they have to do that now to be innovator so they were really hiring Gensler and um, SOM and other companies for their innovation and bringing that into their their culture and into their design vocabulary and now obviously there's lots they can do and, um, different people are, are playing parts of it. Yeah. But it was kind of interesting at that time, they didn't trust their own people and they just kind of hired everybody out to bring that into them. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So that, so that was, that was a great experience, but then you left. So What, I what was, did. What was next? I, where'd you go?
0: I went to uh Burkett design with Amy Burkett and Rick Burkett and they were offshoots. Uh, Amy Burkett was an offshoot from Burkett design and she was, It's funny because you look at the line of people that used to work. It was like a stepping stone because I remember like, oh, that person went to Burkett design they were kind of a a competitor of Gensler in similar, um, in similar ways. But um, I went to work with Amy and Rick um, and it was more intimate experience Um, doing some international work at the beginning with Amy. That was really exciting. Uh, One of the, most rewarding projects that we did was the um, what we call a UAF American University of Afghanistan in Kabul mm. we did a women's college there a small little project about 21,000 square feet 21 to 25,000 square feet and it was on the new campus where American University was going and um, it the second building on that campus, they were moving it from the old campus to this new area. And it's a larger site where they were going to gate it in. And it was really interesting because uh, you just, the level of security and what you need to think about in planning. So you look at the planning, it's like uh, two levels of gates, right? There's mm-hmm. a gate here and a secondary gate here. And then you go into the uh, planning of the building and you really have to think about, you know, once they get through those two gates, you know, what are we still protecting people from, you know, and, and how we cite the building obviously and, and what we wanted to do, but the university um, had some great people and it was such a great cause because it was a a building, the real, Department of Justice actually helped finance some of it too. It was kind of a, a multi-headed, there's private developers, there's American university, not private developer, but it's American university with some funding from, um, Department of Justice, the US helped funded it. And then there was some local support for that. And it was a, a great program to allow women, it was about entrepreneurship for women to have an, uh, because if you think about these war torn nations, and you know, the whole philosophy and what they were talking about is women yeah. is always the backbone of of the civilization, right? As the men were hunter and gatherers, they're the ones holding the community together and and creating place and space for families. And then as men go off to war, they're still (laughs) holding that place. And so um, with with a lot of what they were doing, they realized women were a lot stronger if they could... Build that community together and grow it bigger and so they this was a place where they could gather safely and and talk about entrepreneurial you know relating different people you know women that may be um starting up business that had to do with um textiles could connect with someone who may have relationships doing um delivery and so then you how do you make that economy grow by women starting it right and of course not of course but unfortunately with some of the restrictions that happen within their their religious culture and stuff the women aren't really celebrated in that sense right even though they are the backbone we were giving them the opportunity to become the economic backbone you know within their own community and do that so it was great i love that um That we were doing something so great like that. Obviously, it's not one of those projects that's a huge design winner or a huge, um, expense or whatever it is. It's a modest, but very worthwhile project. And Amy is really proud of it. I was really proud of it. And uh, Ben Namtet was also with us and we just, we just loved it. You know, there were hard days where you get the images back from the on-site, um, you know, uh, on-site. It's really interesting because you know, in the US we have scaffolding and it's all metal. You know, you see all the metal scaffolding in, in China and in Hong Kong. I, my whole life I was used to seeing the bamboo mm-hmm. scaffolding, mm-hmm. which everybody's like, how do they do that? It's like, you know, it's mm-hmm. the exact arm's length away is how they mm-hmm. tie it. You know, that's the module that they're working off. Mm-hmm. And then in Kabul we had seen these um you know, their poured concrete and uh structure that we were working on and and some of their scaffolding is is just, you know, wood that they had just kind of cobbled, you know, just put together. And then on one of the other frames that you'd see, you know, this is rudimentary kind of work, you know, there's no OSHA. So- Um, we would laugh about the guy that we'd see in the Michael Jackson jacket that always seems to show up on every photo every week, right, from the construction site. He's not wearing a hat, hard hat, he's just wearing his Michael Jackson jacket. You know, it's bright red against all this gray, so he sticks out. And then um, every once in a while, you see um, a guy with an AK-47 protecting the job site. So it was patrolled and secured and, you know, guns are part of what they have. They want to protect that. Um, There was one day where it was touchy there because you know they didn't support morally the the concept of the school and i think th- there was some article about trying to poison the water system mm. over yeah. there you know just to mm. to stall the project and things like that not having the women and that was um it's it's always so interesting right to have all those perspectives to understand what's going on politically culturally and what we do we we really don't design anything that's vacuum and nor should we right
1: yeah yeah i mean it really confronts you with that that power of architecture right as as create as the thing that it is creating and standing for and pushing for and um yeah that had to be a powerful experience of of being able to work towards that and work towards such a strong goal and meaning uh were were a lot of those were a lot of projects like that at Briquette? um Um, no that was sort of focus or
0: no, that was one of the really great ones that we we were a part of and got to do and Amy um her passion too, right? We we would say it's like a project of a lifetime to really have something so so meaningful like that. But um a lot of the other projects were uh I did a lot of corporate commercial and um got to meet a lot of um a lot of headquarters, right? And that's really fun learning about the business of different people um luprino foods made cheese i didn't know that they're even in colorado but you know they make mozzarella cheese for so many different people and you know if you think about little caesars Domino's, like whatever frozen cheese there is they make that you know in you know based out of the technology that jim Laprino and and those guys did and uh i did uh what was the other one? Oh, Liberty Global. Gosh, I love Mike Fries. He's uh, the I'm CEO.
2: Sure
0: he's the CEO of, um, of Liberty Global. And uh, he's an awesome guy. He's one of those where I, I feel like I learned so much from these leaders, even though it's not about architecture, but, but about life. We were um, heading to somewhere together. <laughs> we were heading on his corporate jet to look at something <laughs> um, for furniture, and uh, it was one of my first times meeting him. And of course, uh, his uh, CFO had a stack of paperwork. There were basically requests from from people for donations and for sponsorship from his company, and he had them laid out in the piece. Uh, all over his his desk, and he was looking at it. And, you know, you would hear the pitches from different people. He's like, well, this one's about this, the CFO was telling him all about it. And he was just such a interesting guy. He said, okay, so out of all of this, what is the biggest impact that we can make with what we do? Hmm. Are we a drop in the bucket, right? Am I, you know, spending I don't know how much it was. It was just, I'm making it up. Like, am I, is, is my million do- how far does my million dollars go? And I just thought that was such, um, uh, I had such respect for him because hmm. he's, you know, being a good steward of their money and really trying to make change happen. And, um, I, so I think about that now it's like, okay, what's the best use of resources for this? Am I one of many or am I really making a difference in that hmm. contribution?
1: The idea of focus, kind of right, or yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Like it's an interesting way to approach money with clients too, right? <laughs> yeah, in a sense, like you know, not just talking about value or paying for what we really want. It's like, where do we want to be good stewards of our money, and how can we do that uh, the best way that we can?
1: Yeah, I mean, and and you you became a principal there, right? I mean, yes. So mm-hmm. that that idea, then that extended leadership position, and and uh, money and. And and yeah. focus has to become much more of a focused as you raise up in a a firm, right? And understanding yeah, the kind yeah. of management of a of place. Um, right. So so they were. What? How did it merge with another firm? Did Burke? It did. It merged there? with
0: another firm yeah. at um, called EUA. They're from um, Milwaukee that bought us, and we we merged. Slightly different cultures. They're a bit more corporate. And Burkett um, at first was kind of like the Wild West, but it was a very entrepreneurial um, spirit. I mean, Amy and Rick never said no. They are always, yes, yeah, let's try it. Let's do it. And then we band together, which I would say, uh, not saying Burkett's similar to Big, but it was like, you know, here's, a, here's an opportunity, here's a problem. Then everybody jumped in mm. and we tried to find the best of things. So, you know, some of the projects that we won, it was like, okay, gosh, this is such a hard fast deadline how can we solve this problem it was like okay let's break it into two wings one principle leads this one principle leads that let's come in and just show them two teams running mm-hmm. parallel path, tracks how should we do that and it was so fun to to do that with everyone the the, uh, the brain power that we had and the the non-ego driven kind of approach it was like you know we don't really have to have this person be the only one leading it was like let's take turns let's try different things and that was that was part of the success, I think, of Briquette Design. And I think as we got the corporate culture that came in with EOA, it was, we felt a little bit more siloed. It was like, you do this and you do that and you do this. And it kind of broke up that kind of chemistry that we used to have with everybody just all hands on board, just find a solution for this. So that kind of uh, changed things a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they're still going on. Um, you know, they're still existing, but none of the leadership. None of the principals stay. There's no principals there in that office right now Mm -hmm. that started with the merger initially, which is Mm -hmm. sad because we had such a good time.
1: So you were there for a while until just this year, right? Yeah, until
0: recently. I was there for 10 years. Yeah, I was there for 10 years and changed in December. And uh, ratio is uh, a breath of fresh air. I'm getting Mm -hmm. to use a different part of my brain. I'm more strategic. So, um, you know, thinking about, strategy and running a firm and and doing things differently I, I get a real rush out of doing that and with some really exciting people too um they were really funny because uh Bill Brown who founded the company I was pretty impressed with he I went to meet him and he said <laughs> so please please do not judge us. I know we look like a bunch of old white guys here, (laughs) (laughs) but that is not the direction I want this to head. (laughs) Um, you know, I really do believe in, in, you know, the future is diverse and, and I, I want you to be a part of it. And that was really, um, that was really exciting for me to hear that and think about that. Um, I had, different discussions on the other end, um, about how to be more inclusive and more equitable. And it kind of didn't happen and fell on deaf ears. So I was really excited to to hear Bill say that and um and and just amazingly working with Dennis and Joe, um Dennis Humphreys and Joe Poley. They are, you know, icons in Denver and still being able to sit with them and learn from them, I mean, they're really open to um to doing that, it could have stayed at EUA and be the only principal and kind of do mm-hmm. that, but I felt like I had a lot more to learn and a lot more people to learn from. I mean, um, there used to be a friend of mine that joked, it's like, "Is it better to be the king of fools or?" <laughs> or something else and not saying it's a bunch of fools or anything that's just the expression he used to have and always stuck with me it's like yeah i could seem like it's the epitome like i'm like the principal there doing this but that's not what life is about life is about um you know working with great people doing good projects and um i like that camaraderie that we have and um joe and dennis being open just sharing their knowledge with me. I mean, there's always so much to learn and people to learn from. And that's, that's what I found with this community. It's been so good. I've had so many great mentors in life that really guide me, you know, and, uh, and really people that aren't afraid of, of, you know, taking a chance on someone who wants to ask questions and allowing me to make some mistakes and learn from it. Um, and and female leaders, I think, is another thing that I find we're missing. You, it, it, you know, mm-hmm. I had some great ones. Uh, Linda Nelson, when I was at Gensler, she was amazing. She is sure of herself, and so she wasn't the person that's looking behind her back and thinking, "Oh, is this person going to surpass me?" It was like, let's bring people up together. And um that healthy relationship, And you know, I can't say that everyone's always been like that in my life, but I found that Linda Nelson was like that. And um Amy Burkett was like that. Like I said, mm. she never said no. She was always mm. game for everything because she's, you know, she's confident. She had her own thing she wanted to do. And, you know, she wasn't going to say no to other people. She'd just get behind it and go too. And so I hope that I could represent that and have that great experience that I have to other people here at ratio is to really encourage people to be their better selves, be supportive because it's not about me, right? I just want to work with some really fun people and do good projects. So if, if I could be there for someone else and, and model that, I would like to do that. I mean, and that's the other thing too, is like, you know, you have to balance. I'm sure your wife is probably talking to you about the same thing. You, know, you have to balance work And life, you know, how do you become a mom and be a good architect, you know, and, and when I first started, they used to say, Oh, you know, the women, we don't want to, we don't really want to spend the time and energy on them, because they're just going to get married and pregnant with a couple of times, and then they're gonna be gone. That is literally what I heard from Mm. a lot of principals mouths when I first started. And, um, and just breaking that stereotype and saying, yeah, you can be a great architect and a great mom. Well, I hope I'm a great mom, right? <laughs> or have a good family um, in order to re- reflect that. It takes hard work. It's not easy, but it can be done. And I think we should um, let people know that it can be done.
1: Yeah. And it brings that diversity of experience and perspective into the profession, into the projects. And yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, um, well, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You know, uh, you know, we, we met through the AIA conference committee and I always enjoyed hearing you on there and all your experiences, uh, that you were bringing kind of from AIA national and your leadership and always wanted thank to you. hear more. So thanks for coming well, on.
0: No, thank you for doing this. Like I said, it's such an exciting, um, well, thank you for inviting me and thank you because, um, I'm learning so much about different people and friends, and this is just a fun to keep listening to. And I just saw that you added um, at studio NYL and that's so fun Mm -hmm. too, because you do have a really great mix of people and uh, keep doing the great job you're doing. I hope this goes for a long time because how fun is this to have an archive for a lot of people to listen to?
2: Yeah,
1: I agree. Thank you. Well, thanks. You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com, to see images from this week's guest.
0: And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. Do the shameless AIA plug. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Um, But the shameless AIA plug is, you know, I am really grateful to them, you know, when I learned so much that i couldn't in a firm i
2: Hmm.
0: was president-elect and and then president i think (laughs) well it was probably 2010 2011 something like that but that whole experience they really do want to prep us to be successful Hmm. um the leadership skills that they had taught and being connected to other leaders that you could learn from was a huge experience not just uh, the community in Colorado but community in a bigger scale like connecting with different architects nationally and learning from them uh, that is something that I do encourage everybody to do because AI is there you give you get what you give right if you put in more you get more and I was ready to put more in and I got a lot out of it I mean um I don't know if they do it now, but back then they used to do media training for us, Mm. which was very pain painful (laughs) to get a camera. I mean, everybody's on camera now, right? It's a little bit better, but it used to be, they put a camera in your face and they ask you tough questions and then you have to watch yourself over and over again. Uh. How are you, you know, how are you representing yourself? What are you saying? How do you say it succinctly? It was, it was a great experience, but also that community connection, um, the people that I met, uh, we had this one, oh, it's called Grassroots. I'm sorry, that's what happens. It used to be March Grass Grassroots. They sent us to to uh, Washington, DC and it was kind of leadership learning. You take different sessions to help build skills and um, share it a little bit more about what AI is about. We were there one year as a group and our Colorado group got stuck there because Snowmageddon had happened. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. No had locked us in, and we were all stuck there together with no flights out, no trains out, no transportation and um we really bonded over that time. It was so fun. I remember um just super snowy streets in washington d c you know no traffic, and we threw on boots and bundled up, and we walked the city i think uh it was uh joseph from workshop eight and Mm -hmm. i think um who's the west person uh i think tanya and i met up one time with her husband Mm -hmm. and it was just we were all just walking together but it was such a great bonding experience because we really got to know each other um You know, and, and, and it was personal and learning about different groups and, uh, not just what the Washington people there. We had some people from Chicago and from different areas that are all stuck. And, you know, you could share stories kind of learning about each other, like your podcast, a little bit more personal stuff. But then you could always, uh, over the years, I would, uh, call them, be like, Hey, you know, what are you doing with X or what are your thoughts on this? It's actually, you know, really great to have those connections. Um, obviously, we don't talk about fees because <laughs> that would be called collusion. But it's good to to kind of get a reflection link, link. and yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's always good to get the um, the you know perspectives like, hey, I, you know, we've worked with this client before. How you're experiencing this? You know, how do you handle that? And you know, I think it's really fun to be able to have that trust hmm. and that connection with people that isn't about you know always one upping the next person but really supporting everyone to do the right thing and uh i think the people that we worked with on that were were really great i mean i I remember at that time they formed uh i think a committee for equitable architecture too (laughs) at that time i think city of denver and some other people had terms that were unfair to architects and you know as architects we banded together and tried to solve and make it better for all of us to practice and so uh, I really think this community is great about that and um, really helping each other out and I hope people still get that out of, I mean I think the AI somewhat changed a little bit but I'm hoping that the 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 heart and uh, the assistance is still there, I mean I think so right? Yeah. I mean I'm kind of out of it because I'm just doing the practice and design committee but but I still feel like, um, what did I do one time? A few years ago, I just called Sarah Brown uh, from Sempo Brown. They, had, they did a project in my kid's school. And I said, hey, I'm going in there to talk to, you know, fourth graders about math and architecture. And, you know, wouldn't it be fun if I could get your floor plans of their, um, their dining hall? And then we had the kids kind of check measurements, you know, mm-hmm. If it's five feet, we'd showed them how to read plans. Mm-hmm. And then they took a tape measure and tried to measure that out. And, you know, she's so easygoing and she's like, oh no, sure. I'd love to do that. So it's supporting each other in that nice, nice way. I think is really great about this community and not having a lot of people that are about uh, being it all for themselves. I really don't think that I, I certainly don't feel that, but, you know, it's a little different now because, 10 years ago, there weren't as many national firms in yeah. town. And it was really, really a lot of uh, people who founded companies. And, and even at that level, I think they have a little group that stayed together. I don't know if you've ever heard about, they had a, uh, what do they call it? The Architectural Coalition?
1: Yeah, I've heard about that, but I, did, did I, haven't, haven't, <laughs> I it hasn't come up on the show yet. What? What
0: know, is that reason. about? Yeah. yeah, I think there was an Architectural Coalition where a few of the pretty pretty great founders of nice firms around town had used to meet together. And I think it was kind of drinking that they'd talk about architecture and they would, I thought they used to do kind of their own kind of award or, or something, you know, to talk about design, to elevate great design. And um, there used to be that club. And, you know, for a while there the Wazi supper club was the watering hole for Mm -hmm. all architects to, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to meet, but uh, Denver has some really great, old, um, established fun community-based, uh, organizations like that.
1: Yeah. Huh. Cool. We need to get that started up again. Uh, oh, I know. Yeah. Or, or, I want to, Where I want to try to get into it, I guess, if it's still going secret. club. Yeah, and... <laughs> yeah.
0: I think we should create our own. <laughs> I, I really think we should. Yeah. I think I'm going to do the uh, dinner sometime no one will have to suffer my cooking, but yeah, <laughs> 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 we should get other people, you know, for dining experience. That would be fun. Yeah. I don't even apply for awards, because that's just not how I, um, how I think, I mean, would it be nice to win some? Sure. But I think my joy and the, you know, I get better. Not better, I shouldn't say that. That's not the right word. You know, it's not better. I get much joy from like, my great relationships, you know, with my clients. So I could still, you know, I'm just so happy to see them happy with what they want. Cause it isn't about me or what they want. It's are they happy with what they get? And, um, I think I was on the floor one day, um, tucking carpet, don't laugh, tucking carpet underneath a bench in a, in a shower, in a, in a locker room <laughs> for Liberty global. And one of the, uh, big guys was walking around and he was touring someone in the space while I was, you know, tucking carpet face. He goes, Oh, my gosh. And it it made me feel so good because he said, oh, my gosh, he's like, I just love this. I come here every day and I feel like I work out, I get energized and I come into this locker room and it feels like the four seasons to me. And mm. I was like, oh, <laughs> it felt like good to me, even though I'm on my, my you know, just tucking, tucking carpet in because I want that to be perfect. but. <laughs> but, yeah, but that, that felt more to me than like you know receiving the awards you know because i yeah. just felt like oh somebody appreciates it as much as i wanted them to give it to them
1: yeah especially especially when you apply for awards like I, I apply for awards you know and i think it's good and then and then if you do happen to win it it does it does kind of feel hollow right and, <laughs> and, and, and it's but, but 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 versus but versus when somebody gives you an unsolicited
2: yeah yeah
1: or, or or you get something from yeah a client or a yeah. student or it's like when they but... share
0: it with someone else that always makes me feel good once in a while i get these things that uh come back to me but like i was just talking to someone so i did not know you do that i love that space it's like mm-hmm. oh my gosh that is so nice like thanks for telling me like you know you kind of put it out there and you're like hey have uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed, you know, putting it together. And then when you hear that, you're like, "Oh, that's great! That feels good."
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, that's the beauty of what we do, right? Like, just to get to the essence of, like, what is so great about this? Like, what does that evoke? You know, like, not just the image, but what does that? What does that image recall? Are you mm-hmm. telling me that? You know, you walk through the space and you remember that being so dynamic that you want to bring that into this space because it should reflect that. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that that's how I design and that's how I love, like, getting into it with, with my group and, like, studying it and and talking about that. It, it has a genesis of something. There, There's one question that you had and I was just laughing so hard. Oh, what was your most interac- interesting interaction with other well known architects? Mm. I've got selfies. <laughs> so I've got this awesome selfie with um, David, Ajay, um, Julian. I think it's Julie, maybe it was Chris. But it was like there's three of us with David, Ajay, and a very cheesy selfie that we did. Let's uh, uh, yeah. see if I can put this. I think it's on. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> nice. turn, turn this light, light off. Yeah. Um. I think it's like it's like that. Oh, so we yeah. have this horror, we have the selfie. And then Ben and I used to try to do this every year where we do selfies with famous people. And then we have another one with Rick Joy.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: And so we used to joke where like we should do a whole series of them where we like get famous people, you know, like selfies with famous people.
1: F- famous architect people that famous that architect people, people yeah is, to us yeah exactly famous,
0: yeah. yeah it means nothing to anyone else but ourselves right yeah. <laughs> exactly we got it uh, exactly that's awesome uh, yeah send those
1: over i'll put them up <laughs> that
0: would be funny yeah those are funny because like who like like you said they're just architects right but you know it's like being a, a, a geek right yeah
1: <laughs> architecture our heroes geek. And our, yeah look towards exactly Cool.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks well, for thank talking. You.
1: Yeah. Take care.
0: Good luck with everything. Thanks. Have a okay, good weekend. Bye. Talk
1: later.
0: Bye. Are we recording? I'm gonna kill we'll you. We're recording, but record we'll me. cut this out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna kill you if you <laughs> put this on the online I've over the so blackmail so black
1: me. <laughs> exactly. Woo hoo hoo! I would like to come on to ratio, and I would like this much of a salary. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't that be hilarious? I would do it. I'd be how like how Adam did the you? New principal at
2: ratio. Yeah. how did that happen?
0: You know what's so funny? If you did that, I would totally do it because I'd be like Power to you for doing that! I would laugh so hard, and like, good on you for doing that to me. That's
1: but, the whole reason um, I do this podcast, just for blackmail. I
2: can, <laughs> I can rule this scene. Yeah, wouldn't it be funny? This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just
1: launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day to day experience of solo parenting looks and feels
2: like. Plus, this season. I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.